Hello, hello one and all and welcome. It's Sunday morning and we Kensington Unitarians are meeting once again, bringing all of ourselves to this house of the spirit. Knowing that together we create the whole. Bringing all the myriad aspects of what it means to be human here together now. There's no need to pretend that we are any better than we are. We're encouraged here rather to understand all of who we are and to tell our stories, our unique experiences of life to one another that we might better appreciate our welcome here for one another just as we are. It's good to be together once again. Do find yourselves a seat. Welcome, welcome. There are some transport problems out there, so we can expect a few more people to uh, arrive in a few minutes. But for those of us who have arrived, let's take a moment to gather ourselves here, all of ourselves to arrive here fully in this moment. Letting go of that rush to get up and out. Taking a conscious breath, perhaps, that connects us to the living air of our planet. Breathing out, aware of our feet touching the very earth from whence we come. We creatures of the earth and the air, may we know both the marvel and the insignificance of our being here on earth. And our chalice flame is shining brightly this morning. May its warmth connect us, may its light inspire us, and may its message of freedom of faith for all beam out into our world, allowing more people to follow their own conscience, follow their own hearts. Um, it says here stories of foxes, cockerels, and other beasts that get too full of themselves. You might have noticed that uh, today's service is about humility. And it, it is remarkable that there are so many stories that tell us not to get too full of ourselves. We could give other messages as well, I suspect, contradictory ones. But some of these you will have heard before. The first is a very simple Aesop's fable, and it's the one that tells of two roosters in the same farmyard fighting as to which of them is the top rooster of them all and that when the, the fight was over, the beaten one went and hid himself in a dark corner while the victor of the fight went up to the top of the barn roof and crowed at the top of his voice. And then an eagle espied him from high up in the sky, swooped down and carried him off. Forthwith, the other rooster came out of his corner and ruled the roost without a rival. Who'd be a cockerel? To be honest, all of these stories seem to involve cockerels until the frog comes in at a later point. It, I don't know if you're um, 
um, au fait with um, Chaucer's Canterbury Tales. If I'd had time, I would have done an email round to see if anybody could have told this story in Middle English, because it, it would have sounded marvellous. So that really, these are just the edited highlights of the nun's priest's tale from the Canterbury Tales. And you might, you're coming in later, for Tyler, but you may know this story as well, because it's a classic. It's the story of the rooster, Chanticleer, singing away happily in the farmyard one day until he sees the fox. Now, he was rightly afraid, and he would have fled, but the clever fox said at that point, Oh, gentle sir, would you be running off so soon? I've not come here to spy on you. No, I came to hear you sing. You've got the best voice anywhere. You know, you have a true feeling for music. Um, I've never heard any crowing so delightful since your father was alive. Yes, it's true, I knew your father. Nobody around these parts could beat him for wisdom and good judgment. Now, pray sing for me like your good father. And poor Chanticleer couldn't resist, started singing, and of course the fox then went... <laughs> turns nasty at this point, overcome by false flattery, fooled indeed he was, and the fox grabbed him and ran off. But did not take all the life out of him. And so it was. The fox ran off with the cockerel in his mouth. The farmer's family heard the commotion and ran after them, it was really almost too late, but Chanticleer came up with an idea. Despite his fright and terror, he managed, even with the fox's jaws round his throat, he managed to speak and say, Do you know, look at those pack of fools running after you. They'll never catch you. If I was you, I'd tell them, No, 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 you're never going to catch me. And the fox could not resist, opened his mouth to speak, and at that moment, Chanticleer flew quickly away. And it's said in uh, Chaucer's tale that the fox then spent a great deal of time trying to tempt that rooster down from the tree it had flown up into. But no, Chanticleer said, you won't fox me more than once. I've learned my lesson. Pride comes before a fall. And so I need my helpers now for the final demonstration of this. We have our stick, we have our frog. Where is the frog? Oh, there's the spoon. Yes. And you and me are the geese. Okay, this is such a sweet story and it involves the English weather. Okay, yeah. You hold that like that. Okay. The frog was so fed up with the weather this summer that it decided it wanted to fly off to warmer climates. And so it managed to persuade two geese to hold either end of a stick, like this. So we're the geese, and then the frog held on like that. And off they flew to somewhere really nice and warm and sunny. And it was all going so well, this whole story, until they passed high, high up above, a farmer down below who said, what a magnificent idea. Whose idea was that, to hold onto the stick like that? And the frog just couldn't resist. A, putting his hand up, and then B, speaking. It was my idea, said the frog. And when he opened his mouth, what happened? He fell to the ground. He fell to the ground. 
And that was the end of our lovely frog. Three stories that remind us that sometimes, only sometimes, pride comes before a fall. Thank you very much, you two. And I do believe the frog is now heading off with Jen and other. Shall I keep the stick till later? <laughs> As we move now into a time of prayer and reflection. Eternal Spirit, we are given only a little life, but much love. May we use that love to be kind to one another, to do what is right, and to walk humbly on this beautiful earth in your care. So as we join now in prayer, I invite you to take a moment to give thanks for some aspect of life, however small it might be. A flower that blooms, perhaps, the sun that shines, a friend's smile, a child's laughter about a wooden spoon. What makes you grateful this day? These stories we heard of pride-filled roosters and foxes and frogs remind us how very human it is to get too full of ourselves at times. Are there areas in your own life where pride might be getting in the way, stopping you perhaps from seeking the support you need or from speaking out about an issue? Let's take a moment to consider where pride might be at work in our own lives in an unhealthy way or paradoxically where perhaps some healthy pride might be just what is needed at present. And in a few moments of shared silence, I invite you to send your thoughts and prayers now to people and places in the world where there is discord or suffering, cruelty or injustice. Let us call to the God of our hearts and our understanding to guide us on best ways to work for change in our world and how to use this power of love for the betterment of all. Eternal Spirit, we are given only a little life, but much love. May we use that love 
to be kind to one another and to ourselves, to do what is right and to walk humbly on this beautiful earth in your care. And may the world be kinder and more humane because of our presence here on earth, this day and all days. Amen. This poem is often cited as one of our nation's favorites, but very few know the story behind it. In the late 1800s, Dr. Leander Starr Jameson, who was a friend of Rudyard Kipling's, led about 500 of his countrymen in a failed raid against the Boers in South Africa. He had been encouraged to lead this raid by the government, but then this was denied and Jameson was discredited. The Jameson raid was later considered a major factor in starting the Boer War, which went from 1899 until 1902. Kipling was disgusted by the government's failure to defend his friend, and he wrote this poem partly in praise of Jameson's dignity, <clears throat> despite his ill treatment. He also wrote the poem as if speaking to his son, John. You might know that his son died at 18 in the First World War, a war that Kipling campaigned passionately to be fought. And it's painful to think of all the young men who were encouraged by this poetry to volunteer to fight. To me, as Sarah put it earlier, somebody who would be cannon fodder, and as a pacifist, it's shocking that we as a species can ever glorify war. It's very much a poem of its time. It has a stiff upper lip message of manliness. And yet there's something timeless in it too, especially in the line, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two impostors just the same. And it is this that gave us our theme for August. If you can keep your head when all about you, others are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting or be lied about, don't deal in lies or be hated, don't give way to hating. And yet don't look too good or talk too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two impostors just the same, if you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, or watch the things you've given your life to broken, and stoop and build them up with worn-out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings, 
and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone and so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings, nor lose the common touch, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you, but none too much, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, Yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And, which is more, you'll be a man, my son. So there are a few words now to lead us into a time of meditation. And then I'm going to suggest we have about a minute's silence. Um, just to have a think about that before we go into um, our musical interlude, Maria, um, of course, from the musical West Side Story in itself, um, a tale of foolishness um, amongst human beings with their tribal battles. And then, then let's hold another good couple of minutes together in silence and that will come to an end with a chime from our bell. So find a way to be comfortable, whatever works for you, perhaps um, putting down anything you, you don't want to hold in your hands, perhaps laying to one side any of those niggling issues that, that might be buzzing around in your head. Just allowing the gentle rhythm of our breathing to settle us in some way and softening our gaze or closing our eyes, focusing on the candles, whatever works best for us. And if uh, you wish, I invite you to consider these words from Brother David Steindl-Rast, who writes that to be humble means simply to be earthy. To be humble means simply to be earthy. And perhaps we can gain some strength, some comfort from our earthiness from imagining ourselves as creatures of the earth. Our bodies resting now on a planet spinning in space. With bodies made up of the substance of the earth. What might it mean for us to be earthy? perhaps to be down to earth. Maybe realistic about our position in the scheme of things. To be humble, to be earthy. Let's take those ideas into our stillness, our silence together.
Um, for those of us who care about world affairs, we're living in quite uncomfortable times, I would say. The existence of several world leaders who's who use threat as a form of diplomacy is scary to witness, isn't it? This week marked the 72nd anniversary of the dropping of the first ever atomic bomb on the Japanese town of Hiroshima, followed by the second bomb dropped on Nagasaki. They were the first atomic bombs, and there are apparently now over 15,000 such bombs in existence, all with a greater destructive capacity than those in 1945 that destroyed two cities and killed or permanently harmed many of their citizens. What can you say in, in the face of such sobering information about humanity? Some of you I know are very much involved in peace movements, in campaigns to halt the proliferation of nuclear weapons, and some of us engage in what I view as perhaps an equally much needed process of self-reflection. Because world leaders, I think, reflect aspects of all humanity and that includes us. So let's spend a bit of time this morning considering human nature, considering the wisdom of humility, the value of pride, and the way that all virtues, if taken to excess, can become vices. Let's encourage one another to engage in healthy inner work, the knowing of ourselves and all our ways of being. So I wonder what your first reactions are to this word, humility. A like, a dislike? This word, humility, shares its root with other words like um, humility, human, humble, humiliate, and humus, they all share a common root in the Latin humilitas, meaning low and of the earth. And you'll be really glad to hear that I was practicing my pronunciation with friends yesterday because I didn't want to mention hummus by mistake, a delicious Middle Eastern dish made with chickpeas that I don't think has any relevance to this theme, but you may be able to come up with some connection. It, for me, humility as a virtue is a long, long way, perhaps a polar opposite of humiliation. Humility is not about thinking less of ourselves or considering ourselves worthless. It is perhaps about a realistic assessment of our position in this world. One small life, part of a great life of all that is. That kind of earthy reality reminds us of the part we can play in the greater scheme of things, reminds us that there's always more to learn, that we make mistakes, as Jane um, investigated thoroughly in last week's service, and that we can often improve situations by trying to find a perspective other than our own fixed one. Humility and pride are not opposites though humility and arrogance perhaps are. For me, the encouragement of a healthy sense of self-worth has bettered our society. It's certainly brought into the public arena an awareness that the voice inside our head, the self-talk, the inner conversations most of us have with ourselves, are of significance. 
I think still too many people carry around with them a negative inner voice that brings them down, that criticises, that notices every mistake and dwells too much on small details to the detriment of our everyday living. And perhaps just as many of us, and I'd love to talk to you more about this, have an inner voice that still wants us to be special. Do you know that one? The one that overemphasizes our own uniqueness, the, the kind of, I, I must be more unique and more special than everybody else kind of message. These are the areas where inner work can help us, and it's worth sharing it with people you trust too. I sometimes think we'd be truly amazed if we could step inside one another's heads for a while and experience one another's thoughts. Watch out for a new workshop here at Essex Church, an introduction to mind swapping. <laughs> Years ago, I worked on a self-esteem project with a group of teenage girls who were struggling in life. So many of their um, issues, their difficulties, could be traced back to their self-perceptions. Sometimes a toxic mix of both pride and humility or humiliation, all of which they, of course, believe to be true, because it's very difficult not to believe what our heads tell us, isn't it? I really think we would all do well to examine our beliefs about ourselves from time to time, ask ourselves if what we're thinking is indeed true, and ideally check it out with someone else to see what their perception of our head talk is. Religious teachers throughout the ages have taught the value of humility, a way of being in the world that acknowledges we are often quite powerless in the face of forces greater than ourselves. And that paradoxically, power increases when we lower ourselves. So that's why I use the quote from Taoist teacher Lao Tzu um, on the front of uh, today's order of service, all streams, he writes, flow to the ocean because it is lower than they are. Humility gives it its power. It, do you remember Jesus' pointed story aimed at the religious leaders of his day? You'll find it in Luke's Gospel and its presence there is interesting in itself. It's the one about the Pharisee and the tax collector. And uh, Jesus is absolutely nailing this issue of, of those who have perhaps an overconfidence in their own righteousness. And the parable goes that two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, a religious leader, the other a tax collector, the despised ones. The Pharisee, Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over there. I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of all I get. And the tax collector stood at a distance at the back, he could not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Um, Jesus is... Uh, um, commentary on this was I tell you that this man rather than the other went home justified before God for all of those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted I'd quite like that to apply to some world leaders at the present 
I suspect most of us here are not in need of a kind of breast-beating seeking of God's mercy, but maybe just a bit of gentle honesty about the state of our inner lives. In this Kensington Unitarians community, committed as we are to the equality of all, don't we have an ideal setting for some sharing of what it actually means to be us? I think we've got the capacity to help one another along the way. I think we've got space here to encourage the development of some healthy virtues, some pride, some humility, and all the other virtues that help to make this world a bit of a better place for all. Amen. A slightly longer blessing than usual, and I wonder if any of these Beatitudes speak to you. Blessed are the agnostics, blessed are those who doubt, those who aren't sure, who can still be surprised. Blessed are those who have nothing to offer, Blessed are they for whom nothing seems to be working. Blessed are those who have buried their loved ones for whom tears are as real as an ocean. Blessed are they who have loved enough to know what loss feels like. Blessed are they who don't have the luxury of taking things for granted anymore. Blessed are they who can't fall apart because they have to keep it together for everyone else. Blessed are those who still aren't over it yet. Blessed are they who laughed again when for so long they thought they never would. Blessed are the losers and the parts of ourselves that feel so small. The parts of ourselves that don't want to make eye contact with a world that only loves the winners. Blessed are the forgotten and the hidden. Blessed are the unemployed, the unimpressive, the underrepresented. May each of us in the week ahead feel blessed for all that we are and all that we are not. And may we bless all those who come our way. Bless them with smiles of acceptance and broken love. Amen. Go well. Blessed be.